Welcome to the Carl Reader Show. Hello and welcome to the Carl Reader Show, where today I'm delighted to be joined by a lady that I bumped into on a PR course and we've kept in touch and she's done some fantastic things since. So it is really an honour to introduce Sophie Devonshire. She's CEO of the Caffeine Partnership and author of Superfast Lead at Speed. And she says that she likes talking about caffeine as well, which is one of my favourite subjects. <laughs> so Sophie, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Carl. Thanks for inviting me in. Excellent. So let's kick off by saying, Sophie, who are you? Who is Sophie? Uh, I am an accelerator. Um, I, my background is in branding and business acceleration. Um, and I've worked in all kinds of organisations. I've been an entrepreneur, a brand specialist. Um, but now I'm CEO of the Caffeine Partnership. And you said you like talking about caffeine. And for us, it's a good name. For me, it's quite a good word to use because um, caffeine, technically, as a product, is a psychoactive stimulant. So it's something that gets you thinking. So who am I? I'm somebody who likes to work with people to help get people thinking and to think about what they're doing in terms of speed and pace and leadership. Fantastic. So um, we'll stick with caffeine for the time being and the definition of caffeine. You, you might tell that I'm looking a bit you know, shaky at the moment, <laughs> Sophie. Um, the listeners won't be able to see this, but you know, rest assured I'm shaking because I'm actually decaffeinated at the moment. I gave up caffeine probably a month ago and I'm wondering why. <laughs> you know, I need I need some of that caffeine because for me, it brings in the super fast. So, so super fast. Um, tell us about the book. Well, it was a couple of years ago now, and um, well, was it was it really a couple of years that ago that I started researching? Okay, it. sure. So it came out. It came out in September last year, um, and I I'd never intended to write a book. It wasn't something that I I felt a, a huge desire to do, but I was really interested in the topic. So at Caffeine, we work with uh, senior leaders, and we tend to work with quite impatient leaders. Sure, those who've got a sense of where they want to go and what wants to happen. And I was talking to a lot of them and a lot of my friends who run businesses, and everyone was saying the same thing to me. They were excited about what's been happening in business across the last decade. Disruption, democratization, digitization, the exponential growth and opportunities offered by technological change. So they were really excited, but so many people were saying, oh, this world is moving so fast, there are so many opportunities, but I can't get my business to move fast enough. And then there were also people saying to me, there's so much happening, there's so many opportunities out there, there's so much pe pressure on pace, I'm just exhausted and overwhelmed. Mm. And sometimes the same people were saying the same thing to me, it's both things to, to me at the same time. So they were excited about the opportunities of the fact that the world is moving super fast and accelerating, but they're exhausted. So I wanted to research this a little bit sure. and find out uh, how leaders in today's world were managing the pressure of pace and the fact that things were moving so fast. What tools and techniques were they using to make sure they were thriving rather than just surviving? And it seemed to make sense to bring that together as a book. Um, once I started researching it, I spoke to 100 global leaders across the world. Wow. Had a whale of a time, you know, lunches, interviews, chatting to people, all of whom talked about the fact that there is a need for speed right now. Yes. That's fantastic. So um, so you did your research mm -hmm. and this came about, I'm presuming, from what you were hearing from your clients. Mm -hmm. um, did you include your clients as case studies or did you include um, those outside of your reach as well? 
So it was a mix of, of people. Sure. And um, what was great about that was I ended up speaking to people from very different industries um, and with different personalities, different business challenges. Um, and so the list of authors, in, uh, list of leaders includes um, people managing really big global super tankers of organisations, sure. big ships like Paul Pullman, who was then um, the CEO of a uh, global CEO of Unilever, um, people who started. Um, you know, fast growth startups, tech companies, the people you'd expect, you know, Google, um, but also really interesting people dealing with the pressure of pace in organisations that were a little out of the ordinary. So, so some more, also, I guess, some more traditional businesses and yep. and those perhaps without the budget of Unilever to, to adapt to the modern day. Yep. And um, I spoke to people like the uh, head of the Joint Intelligence for the Counterterrorism Unit, so if you think you have problems with your to-do list, try saving the world wow. from terrorism tomorrow. So all these different perspectives from people with quite different challenges as well. So that must have been fascinating. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy about doing this podcast, for instance, mm. is being able to speak to so many different people from so many different ways of life and um, building my own learning as well as the listeners' learning. You know, it's actually really good fun sitting here and hearing the war stories and so on. So obviously, as you were doing these interviews, you, you started this process by having a common thread of issues that you were hearing. Did you notice any um, common results of what the best were doing within their businesses to manage change? Mm. Well, one of the things when you look at successful people is you realise the only one thing that all successful people have in common is that they're successful. Right? Sure. So, of course, everybody interprets things in different ways and their different um, styles. But there were certainly a few themes that um, the people I've spoken to had in common, their attitude, their approach to uh, the way in which they worked. Um, and some of it was structural, so how they structured the organisation for speed to be able to respond fast. But so much of it was personal. Okay. So a lot of people talked about the moment in their, um, always sounds a bit cheesy, but their leadership journey where they'd actually pause to think about their strengths, how to manage their energy, how they worked. Um, and that moment of human understanding about themselves was really important because they then understood how to operate at the right pace sure. inside a very fast world. Sure. Um, but actually, I think the other thing that a lot of people I spoke to who are most successful and skilled had in common was that general human understanding. Mm. So that comprehension that technology can be a huge accelerator, a shortcut, a way to communicate, and you need to have an understanding of what AI is going to do and um, you know what's happening in technology, matched with an incredible human understanding, an interest in people like you have, a, um, a sense that you do need to be close to your customer or your client or your audience, and that enables you to speed up decision making inside your yes. organization. Um, and an understanding of the power of building teams as well. Um, so the most skillful, empathetic people understand that teamwork is one of the best competitive advantages as well. So that mix of technology understanding and human understanding, I think, is really interesting. Yeah, because I mean, you, you struck a really important um, point there that whilst we've got all of this um, technological stuff happening 
actually it is about for humans mm. uh, because ultimately the customers are human, the staff are human, the leadership teams are human. And you know, I, I keep on preaching that business isn't B2B or B2C, it's H2H, human to human. Um, but in this rapidly changing world, we, we can be um, guilty of forgetting that at times. Um, so within your case studies that you um, questioned and interviewed, what, what standout examples did you have? Are there any that you're happy to name? Mm, yeah, of course. So who are some of uh, the most interesting people we spoke to? Um, there's a great organisation called HomeServe. Um, uh, they are uh, based up in Walsall. And um, HomeServe and Greg, who's the CEO there, have done a huge amount to understand how to build an incredible culture. So their people understanding is fantastic because both in terms of incredible customer focus, um, what they provide, how they understand what their audience needs, but also in working on building um, a vibrant, energetic corporate culture, um, which allows them to be incredibly innovative as sure. well. Um, the communication that they build, the, the, um, the tempo of how they're looking at things. And they've done all kinds of smart things to be more innovative as well. They're a you know, uh, home insurance, a um, boiler repair company, you know, not the sort of people you'd necessarily associate with you know, tech innovation or whatever. Yes, but, but you know, they've, um, so, I, so I know HomeServe mm. quite well, and I also know their competition, oh, obviously yeah. Dino, and um, it's actually a really competitive, innovative market. Whilst on the face of it, you might see these vans going round and, and, and not really understand what's behind it. Actually, there's there's a truckload of innovation happening. Yeah, which which I think is phenomenal, and part of that is because they built a culture that looks for that. And Greg and the other leaders have also encouraged a an appetite for learning and curiosity amongst everybody inside the organisation. So they're really interested in understanding best practice and what they can do. And one of the things I love that they did is inside this, uh, this big corporate super tank of a business, they created a way to break out to break through. So they decided to put their very best people on the innovation project rather than what so often happens where innovation is, you know, the bottom of your to-do. Yeah, so it's, and, it, and it's the apprentices or yeah. the ones who keep playing up yeah. as opposed to anything else. Or everyone just goes, oh, we need to be more innovative. Sure. Oh, we also need to hit today's targets, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So they put their best people on the, on the project and they separated them out. So they created something called The Shed. Okay. Put people in there to develop it, and came up with this great um, uh, gadget called the Leakbot, which tracks where there's been leaks inside your organisation. You know, got it all sorted from scratch to launch and success within two years, which is a relatively short period of time, because they knew that you have to prioritise innovation if you really want to do it. Best people separated out, um, really focused, and that's because they're very good as an organisation with slowing down to think about what really matters and then setting themselves up to be able to act fast when they know what direction they want to go in. Sure. That's fantastic. And in terms of the um, interviews and so on, how, how about any um, any failures? Were there any failures that were admitted to you that we could learn from? Well, there's a... There's a I know nobody likes to admit it, but... No, I mean, I mean there's, a, there's a... You know, there has been a huge fashion for fail fast and talk about mm. it with, with people. And... And again, I think the the strongest people we spoke to talked about the fact that they'd um, created cultures where they could try um, and and learn pretty fast. So a lot of the organisations were trying to set things up to minimise the risk of trying things, which right now is absolutely the opportunity that technology allows. Yes. So I think those people who had had disasters in the past had learned not to 
be nervous about committing to trying something, but to look at... Um, I mean, Amazon talk about a two-way door when it comes to innovation. You know, is it something you can go through and if it doesn't work, come back? And a lot of the people I spoke to who shared personal stories of failure had got a bit more wary about things, but we're looking at beta testing, we're looking at how they can um, try different ways of testing things out before they committed to sure, failure. Sure, sure. So I think there is quite a change in um, how people view uh, the worry about failure. Um, but actually the biggest risk is uh, everybody I spoke to, everybody I see right now. It's, it's not innovating, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Staying still yeah. and not moving forward. But it happens everywhere because we are full of fear, um, you know, having an action bias, you know, being prepared to, to try things and share the stories. It's so important, whatever size organisation you are. Sure. So uh, what I'd like to do now is to move away from the book, but talk about innovation in general, if that's mm. OK. Um, so to bring in your experiences, both as an author, having spoken to several businesses, but also as an entrepreneur yourself mm. and your clients that you have through the Caffeine Partnership. So innovation for, um, for some people who aren't really aware of innovation is perceived as being very unstructured, very fluffy, and um, often what, what I tend to see is that innovation is considered just to be the ideation, um, but it misses out the implementation. Um, what steps would you suggest for a business that's looking to to start this innovation thing? You know, they, they know that it's something they need to do, um, but they're a bit cautious of how to do it. Well, there's a general super fast theory, which is that it's always useful um, to start out by thinking like a lazy person. So Bill Gates is alleged to have said, if you want something done, give it to a lazy person because they will find the fastest, easiest way to get there and the shortcut. So with innovation, as with anything else you're looking at, it's always worth pausing first to think about how can we shortcut this process? And the first shortcut is to learn from others. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt, famous for being the wife of an American president, but also a fantastic pioneer in her own right around the United Nations Human Rights Commission or whatever, always says we must learn from other people's mistakes because life's too short to make them all ourselves. So the first thing I would do um, if we're working with people on innovation is to understand um, who we can learn from with expertise in the area um, and then analogous examples that can help you shortcut what's happening. Sure. I also think there is a um, an ability to focus your time towards what really matters. So I try and talk quite a lot about velocity versus speed. Velocity, which is technically speed in a given direction. And if you are a leader, you should be setting the velocity in the right direction. So everything starts with what's your organization's purpose, brand, what does your customer need? And making sure you've got that understanding as a framework, first of all. Sure. Um, I'm also really encouraged and inspired by those people who are looking at how to speed up getting to the moments that matter in innovation. As you absolutely say, the idea is nothing without really bringing it to life and yep. what happens and what you do with it. Um, Google Ventures, GV, um, uh, have created a fantastic process, the Sprint process, which has been open sourced and we can all use, which t puts people in a room, puts the decision makers in a room for a week together and takes them through the ideation, the customer testing process with five people, um, the design of it all um, across a five-day period without you know, spending months and months and months getting to that period to work out if something works. So I think if you're looking to make things happen, 
not just focusing on the idea, but getting to testing as quickly as you can, looking at how you can speed it up and having a super fast action bias around it will allow you to really create something that's different. But I also think, you know, and you will have seen it and speaking to lots of other people, we mustn't underestimate how hard it is. Mm. The stats about the number of FTSE 100 companies who have innovation as a value in their, their list, <laughs> you know, every person you talk to wants to be more innovative. Yes. But what does that actually mean for you as a company? Is it just about improvement? Is it about step change? Are you going, as, as Google do, to, to look at 10x, uh, 10 times the difference? Or are you, which is also perfectly sensible and interesting for certain companies are you looking at the 10 percent instead the marginal gains is absolutely the incremental innovations mm-hmm. um you know the iphone 7 to the iphone 8 for example yeah, yeah. and um, there is a there is a role for that it's mm. just working out what you need within your company what your appetite for it is um and how you're going to create a culture that really does allow those ideas to flourish yeah because there is um there is a risk for some businesses that they become more about the innovation than the core business mm. Um, but on the flip side, as you say, um, each business is different. You can't really dictate to a business how much you should be putting into just just very basic innovation, um, i.e. research and so on, and how much you should really be trying to disrupt or um, transform an industry. Um, what would you say, in terms in terms of clients you've dealt with, I'm sure you would have seen innovations go wrong. Um, I know in, in my own experience, I've had innovations go wrong, and you know, I try not to talk about them too much. Um, would you say there's any common theme to um, projects of innovation where they go wrong? There are a couple of things that seem to come up quite often, um, but the number one problem is always timing. Mm. So whether you've got an idea that's too soon for the market, or too late for the market. Sure. Um, whether the timing of how you're getting stakeholders and partners on board is badly handled. Um, so I think that's a little bit where planning the pace of what you're doing is is important as well. Sure. Um, I spoke to Adam Ballon, who's one of the founders of Innocent, as one of the um, the great interviewees for the book, and he talked about uh, what they'd done within Innocent, and they launched. With great excitement, they launched their orange juice um, product. The timing wasn't quite right. The product wasn't right. And with for him, with hindsight, it needed a little bit more of a, uh, you know, we talk about the power of the pause in the book. You know, it needed more of a strategic pause to get the planning right because the detail is so important. But because we so often have that feeling that we need to rush. It's a super fast world. We're scared our competitors are going to get there before us. Sometimes we do move too fast Mm. with not getting the detail right. Mm. Um, And the other thing is, when you look at the stats, being first to market is not always a great advantage, No, no. And yeah, there's a risk, uh, certainly for the smaller businesses as well, to use um, innovation as a kind of creative avoidance Mm. of doing what's important. So you get the feel-good factor from trying to drive something forwards, um, but actually the important thing is to pay the bills. Um, The optimization point of it, you're you're so right. The other thing with innovation is it's like these shiny, uh, distractible things, the uh, the squirrel that the dog goes after. And actually, um, one of the things I believe that's absolutely critical in a world that's so complex right now is for any leader in an organisation to understand the power of the edit, to focus on what really matters, ruthlessly prioritise what really matters. Um, Mark Parker, who's the CEO of Nike, um, he... They had 350 projects on the go. He reduced them to 50. He said the um, the ability to edit and amplify is critical. 
So actually saying no to the innovation if it's not relevant, focusing on optimization, choosing the right focus. Um, it doesn't have to be saying no forever. It can be the next thing you do or, or a later thing. But that power of focus um, is actually one of the ways in which we can stay sane um, and amplify what we're what we're doing. As well, well, I'm delighted you said that because you actually saved my last question from <laughs> me, um, which was, you know, if, you, if you've got a couple of ideas, you, you've, you've got some visions, what, what do you do? Um, so that's great that you've covered that. Now, um, for the listeners, just to make you aware, Sophie has never listened to this podcast before, so she is unaware. <laughs> I'm going oh. to listen to all the others now. <laughs> is that a promise? Yeah, okay. no, I'm looking forward to it. Brilliant. So um, we, what we do, Sophie, we have a rapid-fire questions um, stage at the end. So this is for the listeners to find out a little bit more about you, um, but also what you've learned along the way and some actionable things that they can take away and implement themselves. Um, so I'm going to start with asking you, um, if you were to set up a mastermind group with three other people in it, okay, they can be dead or alive, they can be fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose to be around that table? I uh, really like the work of um, Adam Grant right now in terms of, of workplace understanding, so I'd like him to be in on it, and I, I would probably take... Um, I think right now one of the, one of the most interesting uh, interviewees was uh, Paul Polman from Unilever, who's an ex-boss of mine, um, and also just left Unilever to go and do some very interesting things. And because one of the areas that we touch on in the book and and what what I'm interested in is how leaders can be both responsive and get the speed right, but also responsible in terms of the future of the way in which business shapes society, I think I'd bring him in sure. to talk about that. And one more. And one more. I would like to bring in um, one of my, who would be particularly interesting. I would bring in, um, I want someone really challenging. Oh, let's have Jesus in there too. Jesus, yeah. fantastic. Everyone's just really interested in, you know, actually. Well, he's got a story, hasn't he? One that, you know, we think's been told, but yeah. yeah understanding the story behind the story let's do it fantastic and the reason i go for three is to make it difficult because everyone's got one or two Mm. and if i gave you 10 you could just read off a list of names without offending anyone through missing them off so (laughs) fantastic answer the next one i think i know what your answer is going to be so i'm actually going to adapt the question to tee this up quite nicely i I normally ask um the guests what the best purchase they've made for around 50 to 100 pounds is. Um, But I suspect your latest gadget probably costs a little bit more. Tell us more about it. Yeah. So uh, when I came into the studio today, I was was showing Carl my new toy, um, which is a pair of Bose frames, um, which I think cost about 189 pounds. Um, But I love the way in which technology can speed things up in business, but also can make it more fun. And this uses, I think it it works through bone technology, but you can basically use them as headphones while wearing a cool pair of shades. And they're really worth checking out. And actually, one of my techniques is to have friends who are very geeky, and I'm always asking them, what's the best app on your iPhone? You know, what else can I do with my watch? Um, Because they're the early adopters. Um, And I have a friend called Minter Dial, um, who's a fantastic uh, author and, and speaker and business consultant. And he had some Bose frames and I found them irresistible. So I'd recommend them. Available Fan- from John Lewis. Fantastic. So I'm now going to ask the original question of mm. around 50 quid in the last six months. What, what's the thing that's been the most transformative to your life? Um, that's a great question. I think 
uh, just give me one second to think about that one. I think that problem is I just really like clothes. So uh, you know, uh, you know, things like a really great pair of trainers can transform my life. I have oh, completely. Some, I have City Mapper on my phone sure. so that I can walk everywhere. Um, but I like wearing heels because I'm short. Um, so a, re- a really good pair. I've got a really good pair of just Puma uh, trainers, which are really comfy, and making sure that I they have- save the feet by the yeah. end of the day. There we go. Fantastic. Do you know we've had all sorts of responses to this? We've had little plastic things that you clip over your nose. Great I've had iPhone apps, mm. um, right the way through to things like Bluetooth speakers and so mm-hmm. on. So it's, it's different for everyone. Um, but the, the whole purpose of this for the listeners is so that you can go out and get this stuff. So mm-hmm. comfy trainers and some cool sunglasses. Next question, Sophie. What's the best bit of advice that you've ever been given? The best bit of advice I was ever given was by a good friend of mine who a few years ago uh, was aware that I was overwhelmed by the possibilities in my life, that I was trying to do lots, squeeze huge amounts into my day. Um, And he said to me, darling, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And this is a really important piece of advice for anyone with ambition, with desire to achieve things, but who is cramming their lives full of too many things. Edit your life, manage your energy, say no, choose what really matters, and then you can do so much more of what really, really matters to you. Fantastic. Next question. Um, Apart from your own book, what is the book that you've given out to the most, the book you've given out the most often to other people? The, most, the book I've given out most often, most recently, actually, is a great book by a friend of mine called Carl Honoré. Now, Carl is the godfather of slow. Um, so he wrote a book called In Praise of Slow. So as I was researching super fast, I was introduced to him and we became friends. And actually, we have a similar attitude to the need for a varied pace in life. But Carl's written a good book called Boulder, which is all about ageing. Okay. And it makes a fantastic present for those friends of yours who are turning 30, 40, 50, 60, significant birthdays, going through a midlife crisis, concerned about ageing, because it's packed full of um, very interesting perspectives on the positives of ageing and the potential of what happens later in life, which I think is incredibly relevant right now as I see so many people working out who they want to be, what they want to do, and trying not to feel um, miserable about being older when there is so much positive aspects. There are so many positive aspects of us being a bit more grown up. Fantastic. Next question. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self? I would say find ways to enjoy it. I think when I see... I've always enjoyed working in business and there's been ups and downs depending on you know, uh, what happens and w- what type of culture you're in. Um, but actually finding ways to make work fun and enjoyable and seeing the positives in life. You know, We are all very privileged people um, living right now um, with the opportunities available to us with things that can be done. So I think the seriousness of an 18 year old and the concerns, um, I think I probably would have told myself to uh, keep looking out for the ways to make things fun. Fantastic. I think that's a cracking note for us to tee up the final question, which is, Sophie, where can we find out more about you? 
So you can find out more about me at thisiscaffeine.com, which will tell you about the Caffeine Partnership, or superfastthebook.com, which will tell you about the book and about myself. Fantastic. Sophie, lovely to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Carl Reader Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell your friends. This podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, D&T Advisory, helping you unlock the magic in your business by adding value, not numbers. Find out more at www.team-dt.com. QuickBooks, helping UK small businesses stay on top of their finances.